Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Hey, Blake. What's the last book you read? It was a book by a very wise man who picked it out for me to make me smarter, faster, and better. How come none of those three things ever happened? I haven't finished the book. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech director out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. Hey guys, I'm Blake Hodges. And I'm the man that knows the least about tech, but talks the most about it. And I'm here with my boss, the founder of Church Gear and consumer of tacos, Toby Walters. Thanks, Blake. Yes, I do consume a lot of tacos, but uh, we were talking about books in the very beginning, and I'm actually reading a book right now. And Blake, have you ever seen Almost Famous? You like to say that you're a movie critic, but I assume you've never seen that one. This is me and Toby's favorite game where I watch every movie he tells me, but then he comes up with another one. I only get credit for the ones I haven't seen. No, I've not seen it. So Almost Famous, it's a, a fictional story, but it's based on a real life story of the the director was a... Um, a writer and got hired by Rolling Stone magazine in the like late sixties, early seventies, somewhere in there to follow around a band. And he was just a teenager. And then in the movie, he met this fictional character named Penny Lane and she was a groupie. Are you familiar with the term groupie? I am. I've heard some horror stories from some of her other friends. (laughs) So this groupie in the movie is actually based on a real life person And so I'm reading this book about this groupie and like all these stories of these bands from the 60s and 70s. So we're talking like Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, these kind of iconic bands. And there's one uh, hotel that is infamous on the Sunset Strip, and it, it was called the Hyatt House. It was a Hyatt Hotel, but they nicknamed it the Riot House. And I imagine, Blake, you can guess why. It's because chaos ensued at this hotel. So in the movie, there's this moment where one of the characters, he's in the band, he stands on top of the house and maybe you've even seen this like image, but he stands on top of this house above a large group of people, holds up his hands and says, I am a golden God. Have I'm afraid about what he's going to do next. So anyways, that again is based on a real moment at this hotel Okay. Where Robert Plant, thank you very much, stood on the balcony of this Hyatt house over Sunset Strip and shouted, I am a golden god. And there are other stories where uh, John Bonham, their drummer, drove his Harley through the halls of the hotel. He could fit a car in the hallway? A Harley, a a motorcycle. I am an idiot. Yes, you are. But we love you anyways. (laughs) Uh, Other things, uh, Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses was on the balcony barbecuing steaks and literally tossing them down onto Sunset Strip. I've heard other confirmed stories from a source that will not be named that it was very common to throw a TV out the window just because. 100%. Same thing there. But And I thought that was extreme, but all of these are worse. So all of this is leading up to, I'm reading this book, and then uh, Shelly and I, my wife, we actually got to stay at this hotel. 
it's rebranded. It's called the Ondas. And did you ride but, your Harley through the hotel well, hallway? I mean, I generally ride a horse through hotel hallways instead of, I just feel it's, you know, more uh, socially conscious. But uh, it was amazing to see the photos in the lobbies of these stars at this hotel and hear the stories. And unfortunately, they have bolted all the TVs down. And the other thing they did is they removed all the balconies and just enclosed them into the room. So there's no balconies anymore. It's like, come on. This is a hotel that got turned into a prison. Pretty much. All the good stuff was gone. Well, there's going to be some good stuff here today as I introduce our guest. And I mean, there's going to be some some really cool name drops with this guest as well that is going to go all the way back to that same era, 60s and 70s. There's actually even some guests that I recognize, which is fun for me. So I'm about to bring in our guest, a producer, a musician, an engineer, Ryan Sutton. Ryan, welcome to the Church Gear Podcast. Thanks for having me. So we're going to do our intro for Ryan. All those things are cool, but I got some cooler stuff, some artists and corporations he's worked with. But one of them, Toby, is a lie. Toby, how long have you known Ryan? <sighs> I've known him almost a decade now, and I didn't realize he was a liar. But Well, they all are, you know. We're going to lean on oh you then gosh. for for what okay. we think this is. I mean, I, I'm seeing this list of accolades and I recognize some, but I certainly do not recognize all. So I'm going to list them out and then we're going to have to go on gut and then your prior knowledge with okay. him to guess the lie. So Ryan has worked with, remember, one of these isn't true. Artist-wise, Adam Levine, Joe Pesci, Jeff Beck, Frankie Valley, the Jersey Boys, and for King and Country. Then on corporations, he's worked with Crystal Berger, uh, Nike, Target, Academy Sports, I almost said Abraham Lincoln, Ford and Lincoln. All right. So, and going back to Crystal Burger, weren't you just there for lunch? I, mean, I, aren't I have you a whole, the, like the character that they use for their promotions now? I've actually got a whole jelly roll devoted to Crystal Burgers. Um, okay, Toby, you're, okay. you're the Ryan expert in the room. Which all of right. these? So some of these I know because I've known Ryan and also he likes to brag about himself on Facebook. So I see these things Always. and I... Yes. He I'm, seems so timid uh, when he came in. All so right. I, I honestly think you should guess first, Blake, because I can narrow it down a tiny bit. I've got a hunch. Um, don't confirm until we say final answer, but my initial hunch is going to be Crystal Burger. Um, okay. Otherwise, looking because at Because you would have known because you're always there. I'm always there. Yes. Um, looking at this list, though, I feel like thinking about the era in which these people were famous, I'm going to rule out. Oh, wait a minute. That's Adam Levine. I thought that was Adam Lambert. And you know who Adam Levine is, right? I do. That's okay. I was about to I thought that that was the American That's Idol like the guy. the one person you've actually heard music from, probably. Yeah. Um <laughs> crap. I Can yeah. you say crap on a Christian podcast? I turd. Um I think I'm going to lock in Crystal Burger in our conversation and I'm going to lean on you for now. Okay. Uh since we're taking so long on this lie, I'm going to say Adam Levine because I've never heard Anything about him working with Adam Levine, but I know he loves, uh, what's Adam's band? Oh, Dude. Maroon 5. Maroon 5. Maroon Sorry. Five. Oh, See, first I'm time I ever age. It's, it's the, uh, the early onset dementia. I can't remember the names Put it on the scoreboard, folks. I have um, one thing. Yeah, I'm going to say Adam Levine just because I never heard about it. All right, Ryan, is Toby a truffle pig and figuring out the lies? Did he I, hunt that down? I don't even know what a truffle pig is. <laughs> But uh, can it's, I? It's something at Crystal Burger. <laughs> no, no. Listen, this is a very sophisticated thing. 
Truffles are like high-end delicacies yeah. that you can't. No, I've had like truffle fries. I just never heard of a so truffle you, pig. You can't grow those in a field. I don't know why. And so they have to have pigs go out in random fields and find them. You might not be able to tell, but Blake is from Smyrna, Tennessee. Smyrna. This is a high-end food. All right, let's get back on track. Okay. Um, Ryan, let me, what's Let me see the that lie? list real quick. Okay, yeah. Ryan does he not even remember, remember his, your own lie. He did, he's done so much. He can't even remember yeah, his okay. own achievements. Got it. Got it. Okay. So who did you say it was? I'm going to go with Crystal Burger. Okay, and you're going to go with what? Adam Levine. Okay, you're both wrong. Ah. I was going to steal credit anyway since he's known you longer if he got it right. Who is it? Target. Ah. Actually, Target's... I knew you ah. was a Walmart guy, so that makes sense. No. I actually (laughs) quite prefer Target. And if you had worked with Target, your wife would just love you because women love Target more than men love football. It's a weird phenomenon. Okay, so there was one name on this list. I was like... And I remember you talked about this name, but... I mean, Blake, do you know who Joe Pesci is? Yes, and I actually, I thought that that was an actor. Um, he is an actor. Then how did you work with him? On like an album? So that was back in, let's see, we did that. That whole thing started in 2000, I want to say 16 or 17. And um, Joe has been lifelong friends with my uncle. Okay. They kind of ran together as they kids, did. right? They did. And oh, I love Joe that. is responsible for introducing Bob and Frankie. So we don't know so, who Bob and Frankie are you, yet. Okay, Maybe you so should yeah. Okay, so my uncle is, is Bob Gaudio. He was founding member and principal songwriter in the Four Seasons. And of course, Frankie Valley was their lead singer. And for people of Blake's era, because Blake doesn't know anything what you just you, said. You know what my era thinks of that as? They think of the hotel because of recent headlines, but you mean the band. So name drop some of these songs because these are iconic um, all-time songs. I guess if we're going back to the beginning, it would be Sherry, Walk Like a Man, Big Girls Don't Cry. Um, You've heard these songs I, on. Yeah, hang on. I've seen some movies. I've seen some old movies because of Toby and I recognize some I mean, of this is still like Super Bowl commercials. These songs are yeah, on. There's um, Oh, What a Night, Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Um, who loves you? Um, and then, so that was that was four season stuff. And, and so, um, your uncle was a principal songwriter on most yeah. of these songs. I just got some chills. All that those, is all of them. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, uh, so you're just drowning in royalties, right? <laughs> yes, me personally. Yes. yes that's course. how they write the contracts in America. Only the nephew gets paid. Yeah. Yes. Well, what that's was it right. like working with Joe Pesci, and what was the project? So Joe um, did one record back in the, I want to say it was the early nineties. It was right, right around the time. I think he did my cousin Vinny and I could be off on the years, but I think it was sometime around Danielson. Yeah. And, uh, he had always wanted to do my understanding is he had always wanted to do a kind of a jazz standards, big band, you know, kind of record. And so, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know about the project or anything. And, uh, he had, hired a producer to do it. And I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He's a great guy. He engineered the group, the yellow jackets and they got through with the record and Joe had done a kind of like a mashup of a few songs that Bob had written. And the, the amalgamation wound up being called baby girl. And so this Joe Pesci record, it exists like people can find it on Apple music and listen to Joe Pesci. Yeah, well, th- so what I'm talking about now is the current record. The old one he had done was 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 a completely different thing. But yeah, this this was released a few years ago. Because in the early 90s, you were what, like four? Ten. Yeah. So I was born in 81. 
Um, but so anyways, Joe sends, uh, you know, uh, the song to Bob and, um, he said, what do you think? And, you know, Bob gave his, his comments on it. And Joe asked Bob if he would work on it because he didn't feel like it was quite right. It wasn't, you know, and, and Joe couldn't put his finger on it. So, um, Bob called me and he said, what do you need? Cause I work with Bob a lot. And I said, well, I mean, if we're going to work on it, I need the multi-track for it. So I was sent the Pro Tools session and um, it it's very different from the rest of the record. But and it, you're just kind of cutting things up in Pro Tools, adding some different parts like oh, yeah. putting guitars oh. and synths. So or- what we wound up doing was um, <laughs> the man, we that that was a crazy thing because we or were, did you have to make Joe more Italian? Yeah, no, he doesn't need help with that. He's, he's, he's plenty Italian. Um, and a really, really nice guy. Um, but we wound up, you know, cutting some stuff out, rearranging a couple of things, um, recording, uh, some new background vocals with some, some gals here in town who are, you know, fabulous and, and, and first rate. And, uh, then, and it, the funny thing was, uh, it kind of has like a, a bit of a salsa kind of Latin feel. And we were working on it. And I asked Bob, it's like, who's playing trumpet? And there's like a little like interlude section throughout the song. I said, who's playing trumpet on that? And he said, well, that's Arturo Sandoval, who's one of the most famous Cuban band leaders, trumpet players of all time. And you know, Arturo Blake, right? Oh, I hang and out with him every month. Basis, yeah. Obviously. So, uh, so that song is a duet with Joe and Adam. Okay. So this is where Adam comes into the That's story. That's where Adam comes okay. in. So, um, they, and is Adam as handsome in real life? Hang on. Adam Levine, Adam Levine. Oh man, yeah. I'm so excited to look this so up after. I actually didn't work directly with Adam personally. Um, he recorded everything, all his vocals out in LA. And so you're not texting back and forth. Like, no. So Toby's lie mm-hmm. guess was very close. Uh, Adam was almost not. Well, you definitely worked on a, oh, yeah. a track no, that I he mean, was on. Well, th- here's the thing. It was that record is on Adam's imprint label. Ooh. And Adam wanted to do duets with with Joe on it. And they did that one. And they did, I believe, My Sherry Amore, which is the old Stevie Wonder tune. And um, so w- Joe basically gave Bob a blank check creatively to just say, you know, do your thing. And we worked on it for, for a while and sent it off. And it was like, this is so uncharacteristic of the rest of the album. It's like, is this even going to make the album Mm -hmm. just because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a left turn stylistically. And Joe heard it and he freaked. He was like, he was in love with it. And we hadn't quite, you know, finished it up or whatever. And, um, we went to, we were waiting for Adam's approval because Adam, you know, it's his label and everything and, uh, got the approval from Adam. And this was a few months later. Cause I think Maroon five was on tour. So he wasn't even really in a place to be able to listen to it. Finally heard back. And I was like, great. Bob called me and he said, Hey, you know, Adam loves it. And, uh, I said, great. You know, let me know when you want to schedule the mix of it and and all of that, and we'll get it, and we'll get it ready. And what's the name of the song? It's called Baby Girl. Baby Girl, okay. And Bob said, well, we're done. 
Adam approved that. So that's the mix that's going to go on the album. And, and it was weird for me because as a, as a producer as well, my tendency typically is to kind of compartmentalize the production phase and the mixing phase. Bob doesn't do that. It's all one big, like gumbo. So you uh, mix you know. the track. I did. That's a pretty and, good credit right there. Yeah, no, it, it is. And it was part of that that made it so fun was that it was recorded super well. And anything recorded really well is always going to be easier and more fun, you know, to mix and master and, and all of that. Um, but that was a that was a fun project because it was kind of a no rules, you know, kind of thing. And so not only did it wind up making it on the album and staying on the album, uh, it became the first single. And, well, that's super you know, fun. and Adam did, uh, you know, some big social media posts a couple of times and, um, you know, on it. And so that, you know, that was cool. I wasn't, you know, tagged in it or anything, but it was just cool. Like, oh, wow. That, you know, so did I go to fun. sleep on Facebook for a few months or did you just, you were like playing it cool? Didn't, I didn't post about it too much. I don't post anything I do with Bob. Okay. Interesting. It's just that those, is that is like yes. flexing in front of the mere selfies that I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, that that's just me being me. Obviously. You know. That's yeah. I got you know. Well, with the body. I got to give. I got to give. I got to give my boys some kind of physical role model. You know. Totally to, understand. To model themselves after. And is is Joe like the exact Joe we see in the movies? Is that like is he acting in movies or is that just who he is? Like, yeah, he's acting in movies, but is he is he still a character in real life? Like yeah. Yeah, he is um, very nice, you know, very, very nice guy. Um, you know, I think an element of of acting is you, you there is an aspect of it where you find a piece of yourself, you know. So I think, you know, um, you know, is, is he who he was in Goodfellas? I, I doubt it, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, you, there's, you know, maybe ways you speak or you interact or, you know. I mean, Ray Liotta things, was, but... <laughs> I mean, he can't be wasting fellas, you know, in real life. Yeah. I think we're all scared of Ray Liotta. That's like saying Anthony Hopkins is actually Hannibal Lecter. It's quite possible, but probably not. Man. Okay, Ryan, you just did something recently that you did post about social, about on on Facebook. And I was like, wait a second, what's happening here? What'd you just recently do? Uh, You talking about Miss America? Yes. Yeah. Um, That is a, that is a pretty crazy uh, situation as well. There's a good friend of mine. His name's Frank Byers, and he has been involved um, throughout his life and in varying capacities in not only the competitive like cheerleading world, like at the coll- so is Blake collegiate level. Surprisingly, well, my high school won multiple national championships for it, so that's as close oh, as I can cool. get. So he did that, he, and you know, a lot of coaching and choreographing and choreographing if that's a word. Uh, If you say it with confidence, it's a word. (laughs) And then he got involved because of that. He's from Arkansas. And my understanding is he got involved with the business end of, of that, that type of organization, that type of, of uh, pageant or competition. And anyway, so I'd known him for a long time as a worship leader at a church I used to go to. And, and uh, you know, he and I are, are friends. So he calls me and he says, Hey, what are you doing next week? Uh, this is back in December, uh, just you know, a couple of months ago. And you're like watching Miss America on TV, yeah, exactly. Obviously. So, no, like, eyes works on television. I said, well, what, what are you asking me? Like, what are you actually asking me? You know, as opposed to just what am I doing next week? 
And he said, I need someone to run the stream, the live stream mix for Miss America that's going to be going out through Peacock, okay. the, the NBC streaming app. And was it live on NBC or they just you it had was to be live on, on, I think, just Peacock. OK, so it's live and being cataloged forever on Correct. a massive streaming service. Yeah. So I said, Frank, I respect you too much to not tell you this. I said, I've done re-record mixes, which is mixes after the fact of, of things that have, you know, gone on streaming, but I've never done it live. And so I said, you just need to be aware of that. And he said, if you have a full-time assistant who works there and who knows all the equipment and everything, how it all, it's all patched and everything, do you think you can do it? And I said... You said, what does it pay? I, well, I said, well, yes, I did ask that because obviously it's a business and it's important. And I said, give me 12 hours and I'll get you an answer. And I really had to, to think on it. What and, did you do for 12 hours? And sit and like sit on did it. you go out to Dis- Joshua Tree and like yeah. have one of these moments? <laughs> he discussed it with his wife to see if he was allowed to <laughs> yes. do this. So the, I did some personal consulting with people who I really respect and who have mentored me in in varying capacities and one of them was was bob that i called uh and then the other one was um a lady here in town named terry brown who's a manager and she's been a concert promoter she did the beatles and i think she managed Merle never for heard a while. of them and anyway she's she was a budweiser for years as a as a heard of that you know uh part of the i think connecting like rodeo and budweiser and all anyways so she, uh, so, you know, I talked with her and I talked with Bob and I did talk with my wife, Melanie, and they all said, go do it, just do it. And that was where I was leaning. And sometimes you just need a bit of an outside push. So how know? was the balance between the stress of the situation and just like the fun? So the best, pe- so Miss I roll America. in, I roll in and I, and, and I can't get into why, but me, the front of house for the arena, the sound guy for the arena. Was this at Bridgestone? No, this is in Connecticut. Okay. So this was at a place called Mohegan Sun, I guess, where they've been having this for the past several years. It's a big casino and convention center and, and everything. And uh, they do a lot of like UFC, MMA kind of stuff. And there's like a WNBA team there and all that. Anyway, so me, front of house and the lighting director all were called in from Nashville. And so... I don't really know what I'm walking into, but I said, I told Frank, if I can have this console, I'm good. And What's it, the console? It, I know you were wanting to get into that. It was the the Avid uh, venue. Okay. Um, so you're going the, back the, a little bit because- Yeah, it was the bigger one. Um, it was- Was the, it Profile or D-Show? Oh, we've got those. I, I would reckon, I don't remember which one it That's was. That's fine. We literally have both of those at our warehouse oh, right I'm now. Oh, I'm sure so. you do. Um, so, uh, and you're just kind of going with what you're comfortable with. Going with what I'm comfortable with. And um, I had called a buddy of mine at a church here in town. And because it had been a little while since I'd been on one of those desks for anything. And I said, can I come by for a few hours and just, you know, basically get my sea legs back? Because it's not what I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about the mix itself. I was more concerned about where is this routed, you mm-hmm. know, and like that, the more technical aspect of, of working on a console. But, um, anyway, so I got up there and found out that the console that I was going to have, that couldn't fit 
into the room I was going to be mixing in. <laughs> Oops. And so I was like, well, what is it? And it was a Yamaha, um, was, I think it was an even older desk that I hadn't worked on in even longer. And I said, I mean, it's, what am I going to do? They can't fit the console I want in the room. And I, you know, you so can't just he, magically tell yeah, make a room bigger. Exactly. And, and the purpose of doing that was the front of house guy's name is Dave Bechtel. He, um, requested the, the same Avid desk and he and I talked and said, okay, if we have mirroring rigs and we need to communicate on something, we'll know exactly what's going on. Everything's labeled the same, everything's routed the same, you know, that type of thing. So, um, that didn't happen. And got a, you know, the Yamaha desk and it wound up being fine. But my assistant, his name was Nick, was second to none. He he runs all of the broadcast audio for the MMA and WMA stuff or WNBA, excuse me. And he he gave me a piece of advice going back to your actual question. He said, I know you're used to working in the studio where you can take your time and you get sounds and, you know, takes and all that kind of stuff. He said, embrace the chaos. He said, because it's going to happen. And if you try to fight it, it will always win and it'll eat you. So you have to kind of trust your gut. You just go. Take what comes And because it's live television, there's always mistakes. Um, And, you know, it could be a missed cue, could be, you know, this or that. And, um, but it was, it was an adrenaline rush for sure. And when we got done um, with it and the uh, director who was in the video production room next door yelled, you know, cut or fade to black. I was exhausted because it was like two hours of very intense focus. And I had not only my assistant who was with me the whole time, I had what's called a reader and she's on the comm system for cues. And she's, I had a script of the show, but she's reading me the script of the show. This person's coming up next, cue their mic and they have a track or they, live piano for, you know, the talent portion of things or, you know, whatever. And so it, uh, you, you just hold on to the horse as best you can, you know, and, you know, it's like being on a horse without a saddle, (laughs) you're just doing the best you can. And, you know, we got through the night and it, you know, like any live event, it does have its, its mishaps, some of which we only recognize because we know what it should have been. Sure. Some are more glaring. And it's like if you play the wrong note, just own it, go with it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I made the mistake the next day, why I did this. I don't know. I made the mistake the next day of getting on Twitter for a minute, <laughs> why I wanted to do that. That's always a mistake. I, yeah. It's, all, it's always, you can only go idea. on Twitter when you're happy and healthy and full, yeah. not when you need yeah. affirmation. So, and I wasn't even looking for affirmation. What I was more looking for was like, what was kind of the fan response, you know, to the show. And, and there was some you know, a lot of positive, there was some negative, you know, as, as people are want to do on social media and just complain and, you know, whatever. Um, but there was one thing that people were commenting on in a negative way. You know, you're never supposed to read the comments, right? Uh, oh, I know. There was one thing that someone's, that someone mentioned and that was a, a, a negative aspect on the show that they didn't know it, but they were blaming me for. They, they didn't know who they were blaming but that what what wound up being me and I'm like, I know what happened. And I'm like, that is so not correct. And it's not me trying to, and I can't really elaborate on it, but it's not me trying to, to shirk responsibility. Cause I, 
I made two mistakes that I knew of because I came home that night and I watched the Peacock mm. recording of it. So I knew. Did you have to order Peacock to or, watch it? No, we had it. Okay. And so I, I knew, I knew that there was, there was a cue that was called wrong to me. And there was one thing that I made a mistake on. And, um, but the thing that was the most commented on, I was like, not, yeah. not me. Yeah. You had nothing to do um, with that. I, you know, and, but people don't know that. Sure. And, you know, when people don't know anything about a production or how a production works, the things that they complain about um, are often, or I would probably say nine times out of 10, have zero context or even un- an, an understanding for how the process works. It's kind of like when you the know, band sucks, the everybody turns around and looks at the, <laughs> the mix yeah. engineer. They're like, yeah. Yeah. he's like, I can't make the guitarist play the right yeah, yeah. I don't know what you want to do. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, it, it's it is a. It's very much that. Or the pastor never turns on his mic and everyone assumes it's the sound guy's fault. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I actually never thought about that as an option, but now I'm seeing that happen. Well, mm-hmm. then what was the, uh, your takeaways? You're looking at that and seeing that comment. Are you like, you know what? I just can't, you got to shrug this stuff off or don't ever look to begin with or, um, or stay off Twitter. <laughs> yeah. That's probably I would probably better. say that's the, that's at the top of the, uh, the list. Um, you know, it, it's never fun seeing work you've done get any kind of real harsh, you know, cause people are brutal on Twitter. You know, there's no, there, I have a theory that anyone, most people who, who say the stuff that they do online would never say that to someone's face or at least in that way. Cause then it, you'd it, have to back it up. And with, if you do, you're a horrible person. Yeah, like yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. But, um, you know, it, I took it and I said, you know what? I know what happened and the decision makers know what happened the people that I'm accountable to, which would be the production company and then ultimately Miss America, like the corporate uh, Miss America. And Miss I America said, herself even knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I just said, it's not worth it. It's the same, basically the same posture I take when I read something online and I'm like, you know, that's politically take it with a divisive or, you know, whatever. I'm just like, okay. What was you know. it like writing the the madness and the hurricane, like his advice to when, at the start was to not let it, you know, don't fight it, just go was with it. Was it just like cocaine or? <laughs> Never done cocaine. I know you and Toby had that weekend. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had the bender. Um, no, I, um, it was awesome. It was a thrill. It's like being on a roller coaster, uh, quite frankly. And um, someone asked me that, that uh, actually, I think, I believe it was Terry Brown, who I mentioned earlier. She said, would you do it again? I said, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was just a blast. My my heart is record making, but just because that's where I do a lot of my work doesn't mean that there aren't other areas that are a lot very enjoyable, uh, you know, to to go down. It's like just because Bob Ross usually paints in oils, you right. know, he's going to do a watercolor every now and then to, you know, to I stretch f- his you know legs. What I found out that who was it? I was reading about someone on a movie set. They're they're some kind of they're certified as a Bob Ross painter. You can get certified. It was it? some kind of certified. I forget who the actor was, but it was. I, I love IMDb trivia, and so I was reading, you know, about you know behind the scenes stuff or whatever. And they said one of the major actors in this movie, who everyone would know, is is some kind of certified Bob Ross painter and gave painting lessons wow. <laughs> in between the shooting schedule to actors and crew. Like it didn't matter. It's just I was like sounds certified. Bob it sounds Ross. like something Tom Hanks would do. It does. Yeah. Maybe cuz he looks a little like Bob Ross. Mm-hmm. If anybody's going to play Bob Ross yeah. in a documentary it's going to be Tom Hanks. Yeah. 100%. So uh my 
my mind just keeps going back to this one question. Yeah. During the swimsuit section, there, does, there does Covenant one. Eyes like there block that one. out? There wasn't one. Okay, so Covenant Eyes took care of that ahead of time and just removed it from the competition. <laughs> yeah, uh, my, I, you know, there's a lot of ins. It's funny. I was there for like four days, and uh, yeah, about four days, and I'm so I was so laser focused and you know just blinders as to everything else going on, and so there's a lot of decisions and ways of of working. You know, it, it's like any other uh, corporate entity. There's, you know, there's political decisions and there's things that you just don't, you aren't privy to, nor was it really any of my business. Um, but my understanding is that a few years ago, they got rid of the swimsuit competition, you know, portion of it. And, but before I knew that, my wife, who she'll roll, she'll roll with anything. She's a rock star. She said, oh, great. This, this is going to be awesome. Because I said, I've got. The, I, I was told, I, and I did, I had two 70-inch televisions three feet from my face. With Miss America, in, like, in, in your in face. In the production room. The most beautiful women yeah. in and America. Like, oh, great. Oh, great. You know, bikinis and on a 70-inch television. Uh, but, you know, that that portion of it is not even, it's not even in the competition anymore. Good, good. That's, uh, that's some progress it's there. It's much more Christian now. Yeah. I, look, you know. Let's I, will, I will say one thing. I didn't have much interaction with, with any of the girls, but when I did, for whatever reason, they were the coolest, most laid back, kindest group of people. I'd imagine you'd have to be to be willing to be judged all the time. Like you've got to have some amount of deep level of chill. I feel like they all go on to like start corporations and become like major and it like makes players sense. in industries it's and a, stuff. A lot of pressure yeah. all yeah. up on stage like that. I mean, that, they're judged but, on poise. Yeah, yeah, that puts you together. But it, it, but it didn't it didn't come across as anything but authentic, which, which I found very refreshing because I didn't know quite what to expect going into that type of situation because it, it's not a world that I'm, I'm real privy to. And that I was pleasantly surprised by that. And so was Dave Bechtel, the, the guy who ran front of house. It was like, everyone we met, you know, that was competing was like, they were actually just really cool. And we just had normal conversations with them a couple of times. And, you know, they're just, Kind of regular people. That's a good juxtaposition. The people on Twitter, as opposed to the professionals who show up to work, you know, mm-hmm. if you show up to a job, you're probably pretty cool. Yeah. Um. You know, transitioning from that event, but also comparing it, like you say that your biggest love is record making. So like, what is the kind of differences personally for that you feel like the biggest differences between studio uh, and then live mixing? So you've got. Yeah. Um. I. Live mixing is something I, I've done just because I can. It's not something that I that I do a, a whole whole lot anymore, um, and I never really had a giant passion for it. Record making because, like, my first memory in life is at Bob's studio in L.A. when I was four, and I was in the lounge playing ping pong with my aunt. So this would be 1985. Yeah, exactly. And I, this, I grew up in the studio and I really enjoyed it. And um, so for me, I always had more of an attachment to seeing that process happen. But in the end, for me, it's about a song. That's all I care about. Is the record making more gratifying with the live mixing more fun because it is such an animal to ride? No. No? All no. lot. All studio no, recording, huh? I, I, it, they're just, they're so different. And I'll be honest. I mean, you know, if I, if I 
was ever running sound at a church service or you know something like that. It's not really the thrill. Miss America was a completely unique thing because it would be like running sound for Golden Globes or the Grammys, you know, Grammys or you know some kind of award show like that, where again you're just holding on for dear life. There's a lot of planning and stuff. We didn't have that luxury. I had like four days, but the record making end of it is more just seeing or, or being a part of the journey of a song that starts on a, you know, a, a piano and a vocal or a guitar and a vocal or an iPhone recording or whatever, something like that, that is then manifested into a real, you know, something that someone can go get, you mm. know, type of thing. I've always been very attracted to that in the process of that. So you know, they're, they're, it's really not fair to compare them, uh, in, in that way. Okay. Since we are the church gear podcast, let's transition to gear okay. for a second. Right. Um, you know, you're telling us about these avid boards that you tried to get for your gig, but you ended up on a Yamaha, but, uh, you have a, a few pieces of sort of history in your studio because of, you know, your family history, mm-hmm. but you have a, um, a unique microphone. Yeah. Can you tell there's us a, about your there's microphone? There's a mic that that gets used a lot, and it's an old U47 Telefunken from I don't know mid 50s, maybe. It's old. Um, it's only been serviced once. The whole and Blake, time. the U47 the, is kind of kind of the holy grail, or yeah. like one of the two holy. Yeah, grails. there's there's a few of them. You got the 47. You've got the 67, 251. and the 251. Those yeah. are probably the, yeah, the 397, the 280, the, the big three. But that one, you know, there's a lot the of F-150. Pe- and F-150. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing, Blake. It's the same exactly. one he worked on with that yeah. Ford commercial. Exactly. So the, um, but yeah, that you know, a lot of people have sung on that mic, you know, throughout the years. And, you know, Frankie, Do some name I th- dropping. I think, Come on. Uh, I think Frankie did. I think Sinatra did. Um, and I believe Neil Diamond did. And whoever else. So how Eric did Carmen, you know, probably. Let's go back to Frank Sinatra. How did Frank Sinatra's voice Go through your microphone. I can't really say it's mine for one thing. Is it, it in your studio? Uh, the though? microphone in your it, possession, it, it in your is, family's it, legacy. It is in, say. it is at Bob's now. And it just kind of, if I need it for a vocal, I'll just, you know, mind if I grab the mic? Nope. Take it. And, um, this is a mic you don't drop though. You don't drop the mic. No. No, you do not <laughs> drop this mic. You grab an SM57 yeah, if you need yeah. a mic drop. Yeah, go grab a hammer. Um, oh, Sinatra. Yes. Was that the question? Sorry. Yeah. So Sinatra's voice has been on this. Yeah. So I think it has. Um, so, uh, back in the sixties, uh, Sinatra had asked Bob to write songs for a record, uh, that Sinatra was doing or just submit songs. And, um, he ended up writing a record, like the whole record, as opposed to just submitting some songs, uh, with a guy named Jake Holmes and Sinatra loved it. And wound up cutting it, my understanding is basically as it was written. And it's uh, it's a very different record. It's a very unique record. Critically, it was, my, if I'm remembering this right, critically, it was successful in terms of, you know, Rolling Stone or, you know, New York Times, whoever's going to be reviewing this stuff. But commercially, it didn't, it didn't sell as well, I think, because it was so different. Um, but... It was uh, it was the only record I think that Sinatra didn't sing with the orchestra live, um, and so and why is that? 
Why that happened, I actually don't know. It's I mean, it's, it's all conjecture. You weren't alive. Yeah, I wasn't alive. And, you know, a lot of this stuff I pick up just in the course of working with Bob, there'll be something mentioned. A lot of times I'll just ask you know, a question. I mean, it, overall, your your uncle had some serious clout. People were yes. very respective of him and his talent. Yeah, there was, there was, but you're also working with someone who people had a, not only a big amount of respect for, but in some circumstances, a healthy fear of. Really? Uh, sure. Fear. Sure. Um, and, I, you know, I can't say, I, I don't think Bob was afraid of him, you know, at all, but, you know, he was someone who was friendly with the mafia. And, um, you know. Most people did not tell Sinatra no. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's the, you know, that kind of thing. But, my understanding is again, is that it was the only record he did that he didn't cut the vocals live. So it's the only record that has isolated vocals that you can listen to just in solo on, as the story goes, at least for our purposes on this microphone. Yes. Yes. I, I believe it was this mic, man. That is a nice piece of history right there. I bet you hear some stuff in casual conversation that most people would speak about in hollow tones, but Bob's just like, Oh yeah. And this thing was, Sinatra. yeah, I, you know, it, there are things that are spoken of, Simply because it's, it was the, his life experience, you know, it'd be like, oh, we went to the, we went to Asheville a couple of weeks, you know, whatever kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, I was working on this album and, you know, but it's not anything, um, you know, bragging or, you know, anything like that. It just happens to be what his life experience has been. And uh, for me, it's just, it not only is it fun to, to hear some of those stories because I'm in the same industry, uh, but also the don't tell me to wrap it up i was telling blake to wrap it up because he has a healthy fear of me so rude here's the thing i uh five minutes into this quickly was like okay i need ryan for about six more episodes because i've got about (laughs) i've got 300 more questions we can do a lightning round oh my gosh no so so here's where i would love to end on before we see you back Um, all right i know we didn't get too much gear yeah, Toby, don't mess up your relationship with Ryan here. Um, he loves me. Good, because I want him back. I, I use an AMS reverb. I use an AMS delay. I have old <laughs> Yamaha SPX90s that are really grimy that I like. Innovonics compressors, DBX 160s. All these live guys are like, how do you make this 1272 work? 1272 pre's from Brent Averill. And we're not NS10s, talking plugins. We're Bryston talking amps, Westlake speakers. So anyway, sorry. Oh, way to name drop there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lightning round. Blake just heard wah, 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 Charlie wah, wah. Brown's teacher. I mean, most of my life. So we typically end on a tech takeaway. You okay. kind of actually sneaked one in earlier, but um, you've been doing a lot of projects. You've worked with a lot of accomplished people. So you've got some lessons from the fire. This is me, uh, you know, vamping to give you an, some time to think of what a takeaway would be. But essentially just if you had a weird tip and I say weird because everyone knows best practices what would that be? Like if you were a church tech listening to this and you're like, Hey, this will help you out on Sunday. And it could be a technical thing. could be philosophical either way. The church tech tip of the day. Don't get married to your ideas. Dang. All right. And can I expand on that? Yes, please. I had a situation where I was helping out a church uh, where my wife and I were attending and I was helping train uh, some people to be able to run sound on Sunday morning. And their setup at the time, 
they didn't have an avium system. So all of the monitoring was done from front of house. And I was working with, with one of the guys and I would try to give them a lot of latitude, not only to like screw up, but to figure out, oh, okay, this is how this works. And I would always be a, a backstop, if you will. Like, I'm not going to let the whole thing fail, you know, but in rehearsals, there's some latitude here, you know, you can, you can figure some stuff out. And he was, you know, people were asking for some monitor tweaks and he looked at me and he said, or no, he got on the talk back and he said, why would you want that? And I forget what the response was from the stage, but my response to him was, it doesn't matter what you think they want. They're the singer or the player or whatever. Their monitor mix, who cares if it gets a great performance, if it gets a great, you know, if they're able to feel the music and that kind of thing. Um, so from that aspect of things, I don't care if someone just wants the rack tom. If that's what they get off on, great. That's usually you know, what I ask for when I'm playing but, guitar. You Give know, me that rack so, tom. You know, me, when I, if I'm playing at church, I like it to sound like a record. It's, it's my world. It's what I'm used to. I pan stuff around and, you know, all that. But the, um, I think just not getting married to a way of working or a way of it has to be this way, you know, kind of thing. Being as as flexible as you can be because there's so many situations, especially in churches where like there's a church that we attend and the turnover of the type of event that's happening there is so insane. No one even has the option to say, this is how we do it. This, you know, blah, 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 blah. And what it allows them to do is basically to be able to do anything Mm. with excellence. And so, um, you know, it could be anything from the setup to, you know, mapping the IO, like it could really, it could be anything. And, um, you know, but in the end, the other thing I would say is it isn't about you. Really, it isn't. If, if we're all being honest with ourselves, the audio side of thing is an extremely thankless job. It really, really is. So the fulfillment really comes in, in yourself and doing a great job with that and the people, you know, that you're helping, but your job as a facilitator so that the band and the singers and the speakers or whatever can, can, can do, you know, what they need to do. And your job is to give them what they need, nothing else really. And it's, it's a servant role. It really, truly is. You know, you're not a rock star in that setting. Studio's a little bit different because there are engineers who are like, or producers who are like, this is what I do. If you like it, great. If not, fine. It's not going to break my heart kind of thing. Church is a little different than that. And I think it should be different than that, you know, because it's not about my sound or. I bet that is pretty different for you because you have worked with some countless amazing names. And then also it sounds like you're helping out a church. That's. Mm. Two different worlds. Yeah. And I also help develop a lot of independent artists. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's another side of it, you know, and they don't, they don't have the experience. And so they're really relying on me for a certain, you know, delivery, you know, that they, that they need. Isn't Joe Pesci though, also a local worship leader at a small church? Uh Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Ryan, we can't thank you enough for coming on, man. My pleasure. This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. There's about a thousand different stories we'll pull out in the future, but uh, appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And hey, 
Congratulations on Surviving Sunday. If you happen to make it through next Sunday as well, join us again for your weekly Tech Breather. Toby, you know what is a big name in my book, in my world? Uh, Besides me? Yeah, well, I mean, it's Toby Walters 1 to 99, but then the big name is uh, the early service. That's a big name, all caps. You know why I love the early service, Toby? Please tell me more. I love the early service because I get the best gear on Monday morning at 8.45, and I get to buy that gear for two whole days before it gets bought anywhere else. Isn't that sweet, Toby? Where do you find that early service? I find it at churchgear.com slash early service. And uh, and why do you have a country drawl all of a sudden? You know, when I'm trying to be persuasive, I just hit that, that southern drawl right there, right there. Now it's coming in further. That is deeply disappointing. You, you're fired. Brian, fix that in the mix. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church tier. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works.